Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Ephesians 2, 1-10 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were in nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, seated, excuse me, <clears throat> and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared for us in advance, that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Stephen. <clears throat> I wanted you to see the person behind the scenes who makes all the magic happen around here. Stephen Robinson. Stephen's grown up here, as Adam has. My kids have grown up here, generation. And um, he is... Amazing. I don't have time to tell you all the stuff Stephen does around here. So could you guys give him a hand for just being awesome and for all that he does and tell him thank you for all he does. Well, welcome to Generation. My name is Greg Sexton and I am the care pastor, the pastor of care ministries here at Generation. I'm glad you're here with us, whether you're here physically with us in the Rex or whether you're watching online. We're glad you're here. I've been praying for you um, as I've been preparing this message for the last couple weeks. Well, I don't know little by little, about a month, but especially yesterday, I was up here about four or five hours praying through the building and praying for you and praying for myself because, you know, uh, I was going to talk about this in just a minute, but sometimes the Word of God, the Word of God is amazing, but sometimes it can be familiar. You know what I'm saying? It's, if you've been a believer for a while, you know, you've read through the Bible, parts of the Bible, and some of it is very familiar, and unfortunately, familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. Sometimes we kind of take things for granted. Yeah, I've heard all that before. I'm just praying for all of us that we won't have that kind of attitude like I've already heard all this, I know all this, you know. And so that's my prayer for you. Um, today we're starting, we're studying part four of the series um, in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. And I have entitled this message, Get Out of the Graveyard. So um, I just want to remind you of a couple of verses as we're considering this, these passages in Ephesians. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? So we renew our mind through the Word of God. We have to make a decision. The Bible is not just meant to be like a duty or an obligation that we have to do, but reading the Bible 
tells us what God thinks about us and about our situation, what God thinks about the world. And if we just read it, we just read the word, yeah, and it's like knowledge in our head, we just listen, we just read it, and we don't apply it to our lives, it doesn't do us any good, you know? Unless we are considering what it says, asking the Holy Spirit to interpret it and apply it to our lives, and then asking him to help us walk it out in our daily life, then it doesn't do us any good. But if we do do those things, if we do listen and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, then it says we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it gives us the power as we're renewing our mind, conforming to the word of God, to listen to what he says about us, okay, and apply it to our lives and then walk in the strength that we have from believing what he's done for us. Hebrews 4.12, similar kind of a verse. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word of God, the Bible, is not just a book or a collection of books that is just, you know, was written thousands of years ago. It's not a dead book. It's a living book because every time you read it, the Holy Spirit points out different parts of it. As we mature, we're able to accept different parts of it that we weren't, weren't aware of before, and it's supplied deeper in our lives. And then it can judge us is like whether I'm living according to the will of God or not. Okay, whether I'm living in my soul, which is my mind, will, and emotions, how I feel, or the latest idea from, you know, whatever, or whether I'm living according to the word of God. It helps us to discern that, to understand that. So um, just, just listen today. I'm really asking for the Lord to give us a revelation and to be able to pl- apply what he says in chapter 2, the first part of uh, chapter 2, as not just an intellectual exercise, but they help us to truly live our daily lives in his power. So let's pray as we start. Holy Spirit, um, I love you, Father. I love you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the time of remembrance that we've already had, Lord, that you're so good to us, that your body was broken on the cross for us so that we could be healed emotionally, physically, spiritually in every way, that your blood was poured out, Lord, that you took the wrath of God for all of our sin and the punishment that we deserve. You took it on yourself, Lord, so that we could be saved, delivered, set free, and we could live for you and live with you. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've written through the Apostle Paul. We pray, Lord, today, the Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through it, that you would speak through me, Lord, as I offer uh, my preparation, my time, but that you would put your power and your anointing on the word so that it's not just a dead book, but it's living and working in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Three weeks ago, Pastor Luis started this study of Ephesians with a wonderful introduction telling us about, you know, when this happened and all the stuff that happened in the book of Ephesians. He told us how Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus while he was imprisoned in Rome about the year 62 AD. Paul had planted the church in Ephesus, the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, on his third missionary journey. And he spent three years there building up the church and strengthening them. Um, so 
so that they were ready and could keep going after he left. Um, a key phrase in Ephesians is in Christ. That's really important. Who we are in Christ. You know, when we're born again, the Bible says that Christ is put in us. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And somehow, mystically, I don't know how this is, we are, our spirits are put in Christ. And we're going to read about it in just a minute. In heavenly places with him. So he uses, Paul uses that, that phrase, in Christ, 27 times in Ephesians. Because he wanted us to get the full revelation of who we are and what we have. So Pastor Taylor continued two weeks ago with his message, The Rich Get Richer, reminding us of all that we've received when we were adopted into the family of God. Okay, so it's our blessings, our, what we receive, all of our possessions that we have in, in Christ. And then um, last week, Pastor Ray finished up chapter 1 talking about Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus, which is also for us um, at the end of chapter 1. And he prayed that we would get this full revelation and understanding of our possessions in Christ. So chapter 2 kind of um, switches just a little bit because Paul's talking about not just our possessions that we have in Christ, like an inheritance, but also our position of who we are in Christ. So today, I would ask you a question at the very beginning, where are you? And so we're going to look at before Christ, where we were, and then we're going to talk about how we come into Christ, and then we're going to talk about our life after we're in Christ and where we are there. So I just want you to think, where am I? Where am I? So before Christ, the Bible says, in fact, these scriptures that we're talking about, it says, I was dead because of sin. Now, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death, okay? Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The word uh, for dead there is necros. It's an adjective. It's corpse-like, spiritually dead. It means destitute of a life that is devoted to God because we've been given up to trespasses and sins, and we were inactive as respects of doing right. In other words, we might stumble and do something right, but it wasn't our normal process. We are dead to it. Now, the two words for sin and trespasses are two different words. The first one is missing the mark, okay? And um, in England, I know, or some other place, I'm not sure, I think it was England, they had a game they would play <clears throat> you know, um, I don't know if this was chivalrous times or whatever, but they would have a ring on a pole, okay? So the ring is on the pole, and the goal was to shoot the arrow through the ring. If they missed, if they fell short of the pole, they were called a sinner. They missed the mark. That's the picture of sin. It's like we don't have the ability to reach the goal. The goal, of course or the mark, or the standard, is Jesus and God, who is absolutely perfect. There's not a hint of darkness or anything in him, and we don't have that capability, because we have a, new, a different nature, which we're, we can talk about here in just a second. We can't, no matter how hard we try, the arrow just won't get to the goal. We just fall short every time. Okay, that's the first thing. We're stuck in that missing the mark. 
But that's not the only word that is in there, trespasses. Now, that's something totally different. Trespasses are willful, rebellious actions. Like, I know what's right, and I absolutely say, okay, this is what's right. Okay, I'm doing it around. I'm doing the absolute opposite. Okay, I'm rebelling. I'm turning away from that. So sin is like weakness. Trespasses is like intentional to do evil. Okay? And we're stuck, before Christ, we're stuck in both of those. We can't, we can't hit the mark, and we have this rebellious, independent nature that wants to do our own thing. Romans 6, verses 20 and 21 and 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're stuck because of our sin and our trespasses. We are dead. We're stuck. We're dead to God. We inherited a nature of sin, what the Bible calls the flesh or sin nature. And we're born with a spirit that is lifeless. We have a body. We have a soul, a mind, will, and emotions. But our spirit is dead because we have, do not have the ability to communicate with God or connect with him in the spiritual realm. We have no life in our spirit. Okay. So before Jesus came, we're truly unable to understand God's ways, and we're trapped in this cycle of sin like quicksand. Now, what is quicksand? Okay, so I was saying to the first service, Betty and I were talking about it, my wife and I were talking about it last night. Remembering in the 60s and 70s when I grew up, Movies and television, if they needed to have some kind of a plot twist, they would throw quicksand in there. And so, I mean, somebody's just going along, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm in quicksand. And then, you know, it's funny because quicksand, you know, you think sand, but it was always like some muck-looking stuff. And so, anyhow, and they would just like slowly start sinking in, and then hopefully there was somebody with them who did not sink in, and they would have to get a stick or some kind of a rope and throw it to them, and they would like, you know, drag them out, you know, and you had to be real still because if you, if you thrashed around, you were just going to sink more. So, you know, so, you know, we grew up thinking there's quicksand everywhere, you know, because you never know. If you're in the woods one day, you might hop on some quicksand and uh, you're gone, you know. So, of course, there is such a thing as quicksand. I did look it up. It really does exist. However, um, it's usually not very deep. It's just a little bit, so you don't get, like, you're not going to drown in it. Unless you're stuck, unless you're stuck, and it's like by a river or something where the tide rises. And those are the rare cases when some of, there have been people who've died. But the tide rises, and they can't get out, and then they drown, okay? But it's, like, very, very rare, okay? However, sin and death is universal before Christ, and it is like quicksand, you can't get out. And you're stuck. You're like, was it say, who was it, Ezekiel, or was it Lamentations? Like I was in, stuck in miry clay, and you pulled me out and put me on a rock. Okay? So we're stuck in quicksand. We're stuck in sin. Can't get out. Number two, I was wandering around in disobedience, led by the world and the enemy. It says in verse two, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work, at work in the sons of disobedience. The word there, walked, okay, is, is um, talking about our lifestyle, 
But it also the word walked, in this case, is talking about meandering. Like you're wandering around. You're lost. You don't know where to go. You have no purpose. You have no direction. And so the only thing you know to do is to follow the crowd. So you're following the ways of the world, and the ways of the world are led by the prince of the power of the air, the enemy. Okay? So the ways of the world, the world system, okay, I'm not talking about the physical planet. I'm talking about the world system of life, power, money, you know, sin. Those are all controlled by the enemy. And we're stuck. We are under his power. And we don't know what to go, where to go, so we just follow along with everybody else. And we follow this fad, and we follow this fad, and we do this, go to this party or whatever it is. Because we have no, no direction on our own. We're just wandering around. Number three, I was controlled by the fleshly desires of my body and my mind. Verse three says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So we have no ability to resist. We're pulled by our flesh. Whatever feels good, that's what we want to do. Because we're looking for life. And in the flesh, in our body, it feels good to sin. And we have no, it's, it's so attractive to us. Even though at the end, after it's over with whatever we're doing, there's really no life in it. And so we're still just as lost as we were before, thinking that we're going to find gratification through the acts of the flesh, and it never happens. It's, it's uh, an illusion. The temptation always looks better than the actual thing that happens. Okay? So we're controlled by this flesh, these fleshly desires in my mind. And then number four, I was doomed. Verse three, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, we were headed for God's anger because of sin in our lives. That's where we were before Christ. We're trapped in sin, unable to understand God or his ways, unable to relate or live for him, hopeless, wandering around, looking for answers in all the wrong places. But then there's a verse, the next verse, verse 5, is it verse 5? It says... But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when we were hopeless, when we were lost, when we were defenseless, completely encaptured, captured by the enemy, God loved us enough to send his son Jesus to throw us the rope to pull us out of the quicksand. He's the one because he loved us in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our trespasses. He loved us enough to throw us a lifeline and to deliver us and set us free. He loved me in spite of my sin and made a way for me to live, okay? It says in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your do own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. We had no ability to earn anything. The only thing we had was a choice. Jesus comes and offers us the way out. 
He offers us a choice to believe in him, to trust in him, to receive him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we're stuck. Jesus loves us. God loves us. Sent his son to die on a cross. We've remembered it just a few minutes ago. He paid the price in his blood and broken body so we could be completely delivered and set free. So now let's talk about A.D., the good part. What happens after I received Christ? Now, please get a revelation of what I'm talking about. Please listen. Number one, whereas I was dead before, my spirit now came alive with Christ. That God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Christ. So when you say yes to Jesus, Jesus, I want you, he comes to live inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And like I said earlier, mystically, our spirits come alive and we are united with him, united with Christ. Our spirits and his spirit are joined together. And we are put in him. So that means that when Jesus died on the cross, when you say yes to him, that means you were on the cross with Jesus. So when he took the wrath of God for sins, you were with him. I was with him in the cross, on the cross. And so the price that, that the Father put onto Jesus, judgment, wrath, pain, you know, all the things that he went through were for us as well. You have died, I have died with Christ on the cross. But that's not the end, of course, because Jesus died and then he rose again from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, it says we are united with him in his death. death has no, sin has no control over us. And then we're raised to walk in newness of life. So not only are our sins paid for on the cross by the wrath poured out on Jesus on the cross, we're given a new life. Holy Spirit comes inside of us, our spirit comes alive, and we're new people. We've come alive, alive to God. We can hear him, we can understand him, we can see the kingdom of God because we believed in Jesus. It's like paradigm shift, ultimate paradigm shift of understanding and belief. So my spirit comes alive with Christ. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. But number two, I was given direction and purpose by Jesus, my good shepherd. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should live in them. So the word, you've probably heard this before, workmanship is poema, masterpiece. Michelangelo saw the statue in the rock, carved out everything but what he saw. Okay? You are his masterpiece. When you said yes to Jesus, all became new. New nature, new heart, new righteousness, amazing. 
And the gifts and the talents and your personality, all of that was prepared to be a vessel, to be filled by him, to do good works, whatever your sphere of influence is. Now, the good works are not to earn the favor. It's a result of his favor. The good works are a result of being surrendered to him. So all of those desires, godly desires, I mean, like, you know, I'm talking like giftings, you know, whether you're, you know, you love people or, you know, whatever you love and what, however you're led, God is able to use those things to influence the people around you to bring them also into Jesus. So it's like a multiplication process. But you came alive and we're given direction. Whereas before we're wandering around, we don't know what to do. Now we have someone who leads us and guides us. It's the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus through the Holy Spirit. John 10 verse 3 says, The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now, so the shepherd comes and gets the sheep. There's a gatekeeper who's keeping them in a pen for safety at night. So the shepherd comes in the daytime because there's no food in the pen. I mean, there may be some food, but, you know, the pasture, the good stuff, is out somewhere. So he comes, the good shepherd comes. He comes to the gate, and because the gatekeeper knows the shepherd, he lets him in. So the shepherd comes in, calls the sheep, leads them out the gate, to green pastures, still waters, the good shepherd leads us, just like he leads us. Okay, now, tell you a little story. So uh, we have this dog, an old dog. We have two dogs. We have a really old uh, Labrador retriever, a golden, uh, white lab. And then we have a year-old uh, golden. She's a cream golden, so she's white, pure white. Anyhow, Marley, the old guy, is 14 and a half. And he used to be about 120 pounds. He's down to about 80 now, okay? He's lost some weight, especially in his hips. He has a hard time getting around, you know. He has to struggle to get up. And he can't hardly hear. He can't hardly see. So, you know, as he was getting older, it's like, you know, he'd have to go out to go to the bathroom. So, like, and he's just laying around, you know. So, like, Marley, come on, it's time to go out. Come on, let's go out. Well, he can't even hear me, okay, number one. Okay, and he's like... What? Say something? What? I don't want to get up. I don't know. I don't want to do that. Okay? So I'm like, what am I going to do? He doesn't want to get up. You know, I don't want to have to pick up the dog. He's 80 pounds. Take him outside every time he has to go to the bathroom. He needs to get his lazy butt up. Now, I can sit there and get something and, like, beat him on the rear end. And he, he might get up grumbling and complaining. But he'd probably get up and then, you know, drag him out, you know, and all this stuff. But it's not going to be pleasant for me. It's not going to be pleasant for him. So it's one of those nights. I'm ready to go to bed. Got to get the dog out, you know, stuff. So I'm like, what do I do? So I got this idea. Our dogs love bread. They will eat bread before anything. So I decided to use a little encouragement, motivation, manipulation. I don't know. I got the bread. So Marley's there. I was like, come on, Marley. So he wouldn't get up. So I got a piece of bread. I put it about two feet from him. And then I walked about two feet more. I put another piece. Took it. 
took a path all the way through. We have a um, Florida room behind our den. All the way out on the back porch to the back door. So it wasn't like instant. I'm like, got to be patient. So he's looking at that bread. His ears up. And he can see the bread. It's just a little, it's really close to him. It's white, you know, white bread. We call it dog bread because that's the only kind of, we don't eat that bread. I eat healthy bread, but anyhow. We buy the bread for Marley. But anyhow, so he looks at it and he sees it. And he's like, oh, I gotta get up. So he gets up. He goes, get one piece. I'm like, come here, Marley. Here's another piece. So he goes about two feet. He's another piece. And he goes all the way. I lead him all the way. I walk in front of him. There's a step down. And because of his hips, he has a hard time getting down the steps. So I hold on. I got a kind of a harness on him. So I grab the harness. I help him down the step. And then he follows me all the way to the door. I get to the door. open the door. I kind of give him a little shove. <laughs> and he goes out. You know what? That's how Jesus leads me. He loves me so much. He knows my weaknesses. He knows I can't hear very well <laughs> in the spirit. You know, sometimes I can't see what he's doing. But he finds a way that I am motivated by to lead me. And it's one step at a time. Just one little, sometimes it's crumbs. Sometimes it's just little things. Just a little feeling. And that's, with me, it's feelings. I have this feeling. And then I get a thought. I'm like, it's like compassion. And then I get a thought. That's what I'm supposed to do. So... When I follow that, it's awesome. If I'm too busy, not listening, ignoring his feelings, then I get into trouble. But he, the shepherd, the good shepherd, will give you direction and purpose and lead you in the way that you need to find the way. You know, and he leads you in the way that works best for you. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You will be like the image of his son. Do you want to go easy? No, go hard. <laughs> you know, so he loves you so much and has a great plan for you. Number three, the old man of the flesh, the desire to sin lost its control of me. Romans 6, 5 through 11, for when we have been united, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would be, no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that consider word is also called, rec it's reckon in the, in the King James Version. It's an accounting term. So reckoning means you have columns for your income and you have columns for your debt. Now, Shelby, you know, who's walking out right now, Shelby's, Shelby's our accountant. She knows all about these things. But, you know, I'm not an expert. If you saw my bank account, you would know that. But anyhow, I'm not an expert on this. But I know this is that he says, reckon the old man as in the negative column. You can only spend or live out of what is in the positive column, right? Okay? When you have money, you can spend it. When you don't have money, you can't spend it. Count 
the old man as being in the debit and don't live out of it. It's dead, it's gone, it's useless. It will not give you life. Live from the new man over here in the positive column, in the income column, because that's money that spends. It's a choice every day. It's not that the old man is completely eradicated. It won't be completely eradicated until we pass or we're resurrected or we're raptured or whatever. That's when the old man's going to be completely defeated, okay? But until that time, we live out of the spirit and it says walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I'm not, I'm not implying or teaching perfectionism. We won't be perfect in this life, right? But you have to have a mindset of the old man is dead, the new man is alive. I am choosing not to live in death. I'm going to choose to live in life. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, um, you know, I've been in church a long time, and I always used to hear this, <coughs> and I've said it myself. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, technically, that's true. I have no life in myself. I was a sinner saved by grace. But what did, he, what did we just read? The sinner is dead. I'm no longer a sinner. I am saved by grace, but it wasn't just an eradication of the deeds. It was a change of nature. So... If I say and I believe and I'm not renewed in my mind, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, then when I sin, I say, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're sinning by faith. You're putting more faith in the old nature, which the Bible says is dead, but you're putting more faith in the old nature, the old habits, the old way, than you are in the new nature, Okay, again, I'm not saying we never sin, but when we sin, it's not the norm. It's an aberration of who you really are. Because when you say yes to Jesus, you become a child of God. You get his holiness and his righteousness and his life and his covenant. He gives you the power to say no because you are one of his father like son or daughter. Okay, you're of the king, and you're a child of the king, that's who you are now. Number four, I am justified and saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. In verse 8, Colossians 1.22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So positionally, we are holy, we are righteous, we have, there's no accusation that can stick against us. It's a positional thing. And then number five, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. Verse six says, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
In other places, it says far above all principalities and powers, all dominions. Jesus is Lord, and we are right at his right hand. Our spirits are there now. So our job is to bring what's in our spirits in heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do that? Through influencing the people around us. By being salt and light. By living up to who we are. By living like our Father. So that people are attracted by living in love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we live like that, we influence the people around us and we bring heaven's perspective to earth. Okay? I don't understand how that works. But I know what it says. I am seated and you are seated in Christ in, heaven, in place, heavenly places. So that means that you have power to not only to resist the sin that's around us, but also to do warfare with the enemy that are actually below us in the spirit realm. Because we're there with him. So what? Why is this important? Get out of the graveyard because you don't belong there. Quit acting. I'm talking to myself as well. Don't act like you're still dead. Don't act like you have no power. Don't believe what the enemy wants to tell you. Oh, remember, you sinned, you did that, and that's just who you are. You can't do it. You can't do anything about it. You're stuck. It's you. That's a lie. Believe what the Word of God says. You're righteous. You're holy. You're made in His image. He's inside of you. He gives the power to resist. Believe what He says. Romans 6, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. I've already read this. But he says, uh, after the part that I read, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Victory is in submission and surrender to the lordship of Jesus every day. It's a choice we make. Jesus, I want you to reign in my life. Come thy kingdom in me. Rule and reign in me. I will not live from the, the, uh, the life of death. I will not live in death. I will not live in sin. So my question for you today is, where are you? What position are you in? Maybe some of you here today, you're here for the first time, or maybe you're online, you're watching. Yeah, Ben, y'all can come on up. What position are you in? Are you still in the BC mode? In other words, you're stuck. You're in sin, and you're like, you've tried. You've tried to be a good person. You've tried to do, you know, right things, and you fall short every time because you have no power. There is no power without Jesus to live for him. If you're there looking for peace, looking for love, looking for joy, looking for 
only what Jesus can give you, we would love to introduce you to him. I'll be down here after we're going to worship in just a minute. I'll be down here. We'd love to pray for you. But really, it's just a matter of saying, Jesus, I believe you. I trust you. I put my faith in you, Jesus, and what you did on the cross for me. I receive you into my life. Wash me, cleanse me, change me, make me a new person. If you pray something like that of surrender to him, he hears you. He comes in. He can save you and deliver you and set you free. But there's also maybe some of us who are believers, but we still have this besetting sin in our lives. Okay? And again, sometimes those things are through habits that we had growing up or trauma or whatever. Okay? But you're not meant to live in sin. You're not, not meant to let sin reign in your mortal body. It's dead. You've been crucified with Christ. Okay? Don't believe the enemy's lies about you. Believe the word of God. Renew your mind. There may be some, there may be some scriptures that you need to, let's say there's some particular issue you're having. You need to find a scripture that talks about that issue that gives you wisdom and strength like a sword that you can declare over yourself every day. You know, whether it's about, you know, thinking on good things or, or walking in the spirit and not walking in the flesh and declare those scriptures. They have power when you believe them and receive them and apply them to your life and get in the process of restoration, okay? And don't be satisfied with low living as a believer. Like I'm just getting by, you know, <clears throat> I'm not in horrible sin, I, you know, I mess up a little bit, you know, over here, but, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come. No, he's created you for good works, not to earn anything, not to earn his favor, but to live like your father and live in love for other people, to reach other people. So don't be an unbelieving believer. Believe what the Word of God says about you. Understand it, believe it, receive it, and let it go. Live like it. Let it be a guide to you, a light to your path. I was reading a commentary, Chuck Smith's commentary on this scripture. He talked about it's like a, a living person crawling back into a casket and staying there. The door is shut, but it's not locked. All you have to do is open the door, get out of the casket, and walk in the power and the life that you have. If you're trapped in sin, it's just like you can't breathe, you can't move, you can't do anything. Get out of the casket, get out of the graveyard, live in who you are as a child of God. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we thank you for your word. Lord, we just pray, I pray, Lord, that I could apply this to my life, that all of us, Lord, would apply these scriptures to your life, that we're, to our lives, Lord, that we're dead to sin and we're living for you. We surrender, Lord. We surrender our lives to you. We confess our sins to you. And we thank you for healing, for restoration and deliverance and redemption that we don't have to walk in those things anymore.
Help us to walk in the power of your spirit daily and choose you above sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.